The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode is brought to you by Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can say that I get a lot of value out of them. Merck Research is different from other research, which usually just cherry picks all positive or all negative charts and then falls into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research provides an intellectually consistent approach by going through a consistent set of relevant data and then putting it through a consistent set of frameworks, which is then summarized in a checklist and in a concise written summary. Their monthly economic and market data review provides an excellent overview of the macro landscape. It's all compiled in one place and easy to interpret chart books with written analysis. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer and get a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website merckresearch.com forward slash contrarian. That's Merck spelled M-E-R-K. Or you can log on to merckresearch.com, sign up for a regular subscription, and enter the code contrarian at checkout to take advantage of this free offer. Now on to today's episode. I have here Gav Blacksburg from Wolf Financial, and we are talking about the rise of retail investors, perhaps the revenge of retail investors. And we saw a lot of this, what we're going to be talking about, of course, with the whole game stock brouhaha back in, what was it, January or February? I can't even remember now, a couple months ago. And we saw the power that retail investors now possess. And historically, and maybe I would surmise that this is still the case in the present day, that's kind of my contrarian view to my guest's contrarian view, institutional investors moved markets. And stocks, especially large caps, would not move in one direction or the other unless there was major institutional heft coming in and buying or selling. 
So we're talking about the pensions, endowments, sovereign wealth funds, mutual funds, hedge funds, and all of those big, big institutions, like I said, that control literally trillions of dollars. But you're saying now that this, what happened with GameStop is not an anomaly at all. And in fact, may portend what we will see in the future with public markets. So let's open with that over to you and tell me about your views on this and why you have them. Sure. Thank you, Nathaniel, for having me on the podcast. Great to be here. Speaking a little bit to retail, that's an area that I really focus on. So I love the concept of following social sentiment within the markets, following what people are talking about on social media. And there's actually a bunch of companies that now this is their sole purpose. They measure social sentiment, they put it out daily, and people pay attention to it. And the reason people pay attention to it is because they know that it can move the markets. And so I actually did my research on this back in November of 2020. So this is prior to any GameStop, anything like that, is when I was looking at this and saying, people are simply moving the markets. We've been told that forever, you know, retail doesn't have an effect. That's what we were hearing, right? Throughout the beginning of the pandemic, uh, as stocks are flying up. So by November, you at this point have already six months of stocks just flying. And people are saying, could it be that, you know, retail is coming in with our stimulus money and our access to Robinhood? And we're being told, no, it's not. It is, you just can't move the market. And that's because up until really 2019, end of 2019, there was a 10%, just 10% of the market was made up from retail investors. But I believe that that number had changed. So I went out to do some research. Essentially, my research led me to Nick Majuli. He's the CEO at Ritzos Wealth Management. You can check him out at, at dollars and data, I believe, on Twitter. And Majuli had basically done a trading data analysis on the 200 most popular stocks on Robinhood and compared their daily price movement. And without going too far down the rabbit hole before we get into this, Essentially, while the correlation for large caps was minimal, for some of the small caps that had seen massive, massive amounts of social media bullish sentiment, there was extreme correlation and movement within their caps. And those were primarily represented, and this is kind of the OG Jimmy in the Kodak movement, where Kodak got this deal that was supposed to bring them in, I guess, billions of dollars. They were transitioning to being another company and their, their stock flew. And then we also saw it in Nikola and in Moderna. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. So this is still focused mostly on the, the small caps. And by the way, I may have at the outset called it game stock. I keep getting that confused whether it's game stock or game stop. Of course it's game stop. I've been to the store. But um, I know the meme was game stock or game stonk even. But okay, so this is these are small caps, and and that's maybe a little less surprising because obviously as small caps they have less market cap, and it takes less money to to move them around. But it's still a little surprising that the institutions aren't the ones that are controlling this. Are institutions just not into small caps that much, or or how does that work? It's a great question. So I think that they're less into speculation in many areas. They are much more adept at getting information and they're definitely more comfortable with going with something that they have multiple analysts covering, right? So the analysts come back, they say, I've covered this. I understand this company. We have a decade of earnings reports, consistent building. And some of these small caps were definitely newer, were more speculative. They had higher run-ups. Um, it doesn't mean that we didn't also see some of this happening to large caps. I believe that people, um, retail was also affecting Amazon. 
Google. We saw big run-ups during those years. It's much harder to determine what caused those run-ups. The data simply isn't there. One of the reasons that we lost that data was because Robinhood, who was kind of chiefly leading this, they had a platform called Robin Tracks, I believe, where you could actually see uh, what people were buying and selling. That was an API, and they cut off access to that mm. in mid-2020, um, which was sad because I was hoping to use that data for my company. But Interesting. You know, they, they went ahead and they cut that off, so we weren't able to get the full data set. But there's a lot of reason to believe that although we can see it clearly in the small caps that it was happening in some mids and possibly a couple of the large caps, um, just some of the ones that Majuli was looking at were Tesla, Apple, Amazon, some of these names that you just see massive, massive bullish sentiment on social media with a correlated increase in that price rise. Interesting. I mean, the institutions still have more money. And they are do still make up the majority of the institutional shareholders. If you look at their, uh, you know, it's not the 13 Fs, but the, you know, whatever the institutional shareholders are from, on, on, from the stock. So how is it then that these smaller retail investors are able to move things around so much? So that's, that's a great question. And that was something which I looked into. And actually, there's a pretty popular fund manager, his name's Cole Smeet. And he did a lot of research into that too. And what he determined was that they were actually buying bullish call options on margin. Okay. And if you look in 2020, there was a four week stretch where small retail traders bought $500 billion of bullish call options. And just for reference in 99, or I guess 20 years earlier, the highest stretch of that long was hundred billion. So it had five X and in 2007, the largest stretch was 100 billion. It didn't move between 99 and 2007, and then it 5x in the next 13 years. Right. But well, really, yeah. I, I believe that was happening in 2020. So I think it was the bullish call options on margin were actually what's moving the market. Interesting. So these are high risk endeavors. Well, maybe not if you're just buying the, call, the calls. Like that's, you know, it's a relatively small thing. Okay, you're buying it on margin. That's maybe not all that wise, but ultimately it's a small figure, you know, that you can get it, especially if it's deep out of the money. Right. Yes. And a lot of these were deep out of the money, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. People were buying leaps for sure. But while there were many deep out of the money, uh, the amount of weekly call options was insane throughout mm. the pandemic. Uh, so many more weeklies than you would normally see because retail, small retail traders, obviously the weeklies are the cheapest you're going to get, right? You don't have that built in uh, time decay pricing that you would get on some of these leaps where you're paying, you know, five, six, seven times more. And so someone might go in and they say, I have 200 bucks. I can't afford to go another two weeks, three weeks out because of that premium. But I believe this is going to move quickly. I'm going to just grab the weekly. I'm going to flip it tomorrow. What do you attribute this, uh, you know, return of the retail investor to? I mean, it's interesting you mentioned from 99 to 2007, you know, those of us who are old enough to remember, I mean, I remember in the late nineties when internet uh, brokerage came online and, and you did have a huge influx of retail investors then, and a lot of them got wiped out in the dot-com crash. And it, since in the years since, at least up until last year, from what I recall, we were just kind of sitting, everyone was waiting for this to, to reemerge. It sounds like it has now. Is it, and what do you owe this to? Is it just the fact that, you know, the bull market's gotten, uh, you know, more legs and it's had more, more media coverage? The stimulus checks, we mentioned people sitting around at home during COVID mm -hmm. not having anything to do. What, what do you, what does you attribute to? I think the number one factor, which is probably 60, 70% of this is commission-free trading. 
Right. You know, I'm, I'm a relatively, I'll still call myself, you know, I started trading within the last five ish years. Um, when I started trading, it was not commission free. Um, and I remember I was so like hesitant to place trades. I was like, I have to pay. And you know, I was, I was a student. Uh, I was like, I have to pay five, 10 bucks even for every single trade. Like I am going to pick these so carefully. Yeah. I am going to pick things that I'm going to hold for years. Like five to $10 motivated me to make year long decisions. Yeah. And you know, it's, now it's crazy. You look at like my trading history throughout 2020. It's ridiculous. It's every, if I wasn't placing a trade during the day, it was like something was wrong. That's hilarious. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That, I did not think about that commission-free stuff, of course. And you mentioned Robinhood. They were the pioneer, but others quickly followed, right? I mean, they, they did it and then everyone else, Schwab and all the others came in and now it's all for free everywhere pretty much. Yeah. Once, once uh, Robinhood rolled that in. And then Robinhood also, one of the other things that they did, which was kind of powerful, but they never really held up to, but I think got them a lot of money was they were going to offer, or maybe they did offer for a very brief time. They offered 3% interest on the cash that you held inside of their brokerage. Whoa. Uh, that was uh, something that they were rumored about. I'm not sure how long they actually did it, but if you look it up, there was a period of time where Robinhood was rumored to offer 3%. So a lot of people were now moving their money in and then they're going, oh, it's already in here. I see a good opportunity. It doesn't cost me anything. I can get out of this opportunity tomorrow. Now I'm going to put more money in. So I think it was wow. that as well was the combination of the decreasing interest rate, right? You're getting 0.05 or 0.06 is the average nationally right now. Um, I can't believe people still use savings accounts. Uh, in that, um, I'm glad that I understand decentralized finance because I get 9% APY compounding monthly on my money. So thank you for that. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute because that, all right, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there was just so many catalysts. And then, like you said, everybody was staying at home. They were laid off. They were unemployed. Yeah. It was, I need to finally like, trust me, like people in desperate times, desperate measures, right? Mm. You'll start taking risks. You'll start doing things like um, all my friends that started trying to flip items right on eBay from their houses and started selling courses and writing emails and trading was just right there. And it seemed like, you know, high risk. And for many people, they were being, no, I'm saying high reward. And for many people, they were being told low risk. Uh, yeah. So obviously, you know, we saw the, 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 the come down about what, two months ago, which I actually have plenty of theories on why that happened as well. And I think that retail highly affected it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of an overview. Okay, I wanna ask you that later, but how do you get 9% on monthly on uh, with blockchain? Absolutely, so there's a few different ways that you can go about it. Uh, essentially, there's a large group of people. So decentralized finance is the concept that you're gonna have a pool of money, usually in some type of cryptocurrency, and there are an endless amount of people that want to borrow from it. And that's because they don't want to borrow from a traditional bank because a traditional bank will make you put up collateral of some sort. So you need to have maybe a house or a car uh, if you want to take out a sizable loan. Um, also, you have to pass, you have to have a, you know, maybe a social security number that you have to put into there or several other items like that. And many people have realized that, okay, we would rather maybe borrow on the internet using decentralized finance, which is essentially a group of people usually led by institutions uh, that are in this area that are going to create a pool of cryptocurrency and they're gonna lend it out. Now, the lending rates are insane. They're usually between 11 to 15% that you're gonna be paying on this, but 
you do not have to put up, um, usually you can collateralize with crypto. That's the key here. You cannot do that at a traditional bank. Essentially, what I use is called outlet finance. They make this very easy process. The reason I use them is because you don't have to deal with the crypto side. Outlet right. finance, you just put your money in. It looks like fiat in there. It's a savings account. They just pay 9% APY monthly on your money. And it just acts exactly as a savings account. But what they do on the back end is they take your money, they pull it with the other users, they turn it into USD coin, which is a stable coin, tracks US dollar. Then they make loans in the decentralized finance world with that at 11 to 15%. They basically pocket the difference. They actually use part of the difference to pay for insurance on your money. And one of the main ways that they secure your money is if anybody wants to take a loan from out of finance, they're forced to over collateralize with crypto, meaning if they want to borrow a thousand dollars from outlet you have to put up twelve hundred dollars in a crypto wallet outlet can liquidate it at any time if they believe but for many people they're fine doing that they're fine paying 11 15 percent they think they're gonna make more they're out there doing crypto strategies they're making them 30 percent uh that are that are just doing stuff and they don't have to have a house a car a social they just have to have a crypto wallet they don't have to even put their name on it Okay, right? but it, it is still based on crypto. It's not, and it's not like it's FDIC insured or anything. No, so not FDIC insured. What they do is the over collateralization. Then they also, I actually had the, so before I went into Outlet full on, I actually got in touch with the CEO and got him on a Zoom and mm -hmm. spoke with him for an hour and a half. And he sent me their pitch deck and I went over uh, and who they were funded by and everything. Like I really did my due diligence on them as a company um, to fully understand the concept and who they were, and who he was. And eventually, you know, I really did trust them. And nice. now my whole family uses them. My friends use them. It's great. Uh, they even have a Discord with over a thousand people in it talking right. daily. Uh, they do prize in the Discord. Like my mother is in this. She won an extra gold coin that gives her an extra half a percent APY. So she's getting nine and a half percent APY on a savings account. Jeez, that is nuts. Yeah, I mean, the whole, is... whole world. If you need, if you get nine percent, why do you? You don't need to do anything else. I mean, why would you even bother risking anything else unless you? Well, yeah, one, there's the thrill, right? Mm. We're, we're, we're traders, uh, birds of a habit. So what I do is I put about, I try to keep over uh, around 30% of my uh, net worth inside of Outlet. And then I have obviously a Roth IRA um, that you're going to keep some money in. Uh, I actually have three brokerages. So I have my Outlet and then I have a Roth IRA, um, an E-Trade account where I trade OTCs just because there's some ridiculous money to make in OTCs right now. I'm up like 100% um over the last i don't know a few months and then i have a Robinhood account where i lose money trying to buy call options huh, okay and, and trade crypto right okay got it got it got it all right this is all very interesting uh gave blacksburg i, I want to come back um yeah. and ask you some more questions but i first want to take a very short break to allow our sponsors to, to get their word in uh, before i do a quick reminder if you are a premium subscriber do not touch the dial you will not get a break to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech, that's T-E-C-H, and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. 
they also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. I need to tell you about Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can absolutely recommend them. Uh, Their research is different. They do not cherry pick positive or negative charts, nor do they fall into the trap of confirmation bias. They have an intellectually consistent approach. They grew through a consistent set of relevant data, put them through the same consistent set of frameworks, and then summarize the whole thing in a checklist with a concise written summary. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer, which is a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website MerckResearch.com, sign up for one of the subscriptions, and enter the code CONTRARIAN at checkout to take advantage of this limited offer. That's MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. Welcome back, everybody. Gabe Blacksburg of Wolf Financial. Very interesting conversation. It's great to have the younger generations of investors on here, along with the people that we usually have who have been in the business for four or five decades, or sometimes even more in a couple of cases. Actually, I don't think I've ever had anybody quite that old, but not 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 close to it. But this is a segment of the show where we ask our guests a little bit more about themselves about how they came to this station in life. And so, yeah, I'm curious about your background and how, what, how things went down. Yeah, absolutely. Got into finance, I guess now it's about seven years ago. Um, I was actually in high school at the time. Um, I, I recently graduated, got my bachelor's in finance um, a few months back. I was working full time for a long time before that though, um, kind of throughout my whole undergrad. Uh, so in high school, participated in a grade-wide market watch game, which are a great way to get into finance, right? You do paper trading, um, just destroyed my entire grade, probably because I stopped paying attention to school, which is paper trading. Um, basically, it was like, oh, is it physics class? No, it's 9.30 a.m. I'm paper trading. And so I was doing that for about two hours a day, uh, returned. I beat the S&P by 13% over six months um, and just had a really good time with it and decided I want to study finance. Uh, went to Drexel University. I uh, had three co-ops there, which is basically a six month internships type style, but you work full time. You're a full-time employee. You are relied upon. I did co-ops in accounting. And then I worked at Goldman Sachs in private wealth management. And then I worked at Versa capital management doing private equity. Hmm. And uh, kind of right when I finished at Versa, which was about 15 months ago, I was basically chatting with some friends. They were starting this idea of a company with Wolf. It was really not formulated yet, but the goal was we wanted to make investing easier for our generation. That was just the idea. And yeah, 15 months later, we've built a social media. We're on the app store. We have thousands of daily active users and we're having fun. That's really interesting. How did you win the contest in high school? Like, And how would you, I mean, the time issue aside, I mean, people dedicate their entire lives to this stuff and they don't produce... They don't beat the S&P by 13%. So how, how did you do it? And how long was the horizon for? Do you remember? So it was six months okay. and I returned 25% uh, while the S&P returned 12 uh, in six months. Over that time period, of course, I didn't make any actual money. I just won a Barnes & Noble's gift card. But there were a couple different ways. So one, I was obviously gifted with a pretty good market, which was ready, you know, returning 12% over that time. 
So I don't take that for granted. But then two, um, really just my professors. I would just go to office hours and just sit down with my econ professor um, who had a really good mind for this stuff, was actually in the game with us um, and, and playing and just start talking about, okay, well, how are you doing your research? What are you looking at? What trends are you doing? At this time, gold was on a big rise. So I started trading bullish gold stocks, just buying into them. Um, NUGT, I think, was a, a big one back then and just watching the movement. Um, some pharmaceutical stocks as well. And also I was trading quickly, you know, watching for moves. I was, I was playing with a hundred thousand fake dollars. So I would just take huge positions, watch them move, you know, 10, 20 cent or whatever, get out, just take my gains, um, learned how to set stop losses, right. One cent down, whatever it is with my positions and just moving really quickly with it. Um, it's not all super realistic in real life because in real life, somebody has to take the other end of that trade. There's a gap, there's a fill order. Um, I'll tell you this, I've seen people make insane money on paper trading that's not replicable in real life, but I think it's a great way to start understanding sure. the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting though, when you get into some of these professional investors, how much of their back testing is based on you know, some of these things. With, I mean, you can, it's funny, you can prove just about anything with back testing if you want. Yeah, I mean, the, the craziest thing that I've seen in paper trading was actually, so when I was at Drexel, I was the president of the finance club. And I ran that for a year and I ran every term a paper trading game where people could come in uh, and everyone in my club could play. And my little brother during the quarantine started trading with some of his money. And I said, hey, do you want to get in our paper trading game? And he just started doing this thing all day. He returned 1000% in two months. <laughs> wow. Okay. On paper trading. So, wow. yeah. Nice. Very nice. All right. But these are, these are high risk, high reward strategies. Maybe yeah, not the type of thing you want to do. Complete day trading or based off of volatility. Yeah. Sure. Not not what I not what I do nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So now tell me about talk to me about Wolf Financial and how it works. Um, and yeah, maybe we can get some insight from that on on some stocks that you might currently like, with the yeah. understanding that nothing we say here is investment advice. Go ahead. Absolutely. Wolf is quite simply put, a social research platform. You come into the app, you have the ability to connect your portfolio from any major U.S. brokerage. And then it's basically what you would find on something like Twitter, where you have a full community of people who are coming together to try to just learn how to trade better, to do research together, to find their favorite stocks, to break down earnings. It's that full community. In fact, I've recruited many people from there, as well as others. So Instagram, TikTok. What we saw uh, during the pandemic was on these social platforms, people are gaining thousands of users a day as really my generation, right? The Gen Z and some millennials were being driven to the crutches that they instill in the entire rest of their life, which is social media, right? I don't know how to do something nowadays. I don't take a course on it. I go to YouTube. I, I go to social media. I, I Google it, whatever it is. I don't really feel a need to go to school to learn it anymore. And that's what happened. People were like, I don't understand how to trade. I'm going to go online and find someone to teach me. And there was just a huge mark around this. The problem is no major social platform is built for it. There's Mm. no live data. You can't see prices on items. You can't do research on them. And even then we looked at some of the research platforms. You go to Yahoo Finance. It's not built for somebody who doesn't have a finance background. If I've never studied balance sheet, income statement, cash flows, I'm not going to understand the numbers. I'm going to have to have someone, you know, maybe teach it to me. So the idea with Wolf is two part. One, you have your whole community. If you need to ask a question, you don't have to leave and go to Google. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's there, the people to ask are there, you know who you're following and it's promoted to you. And then number two, all of your research is broken down really simply. We don't give people just numbers. We always give them a picture with the numbers. 
So for example, when we display a balance sheet, we actually modularize it. Mm. So think about a square with a bunch of bubbles inside. And if they have a ton of cash, cash is a bigger bubble. If they have a ton of you know, long-term assets, bigger bubble. If they have something less, smaller. It's visual right there. And then we give all the key ratios, free cash flow, debt to equity, you know, peg ratio, whatever it is. But again, it's a picture and it's over a time horizon. So for free cash flow, I can look at it. It's graphed for me. I can easily benchmark it to the industry and the market right on the graph just by clicks. And then the best part of it all and the way that we intertwine everything is all of your research is content. If I see a free cash flow chart that I love for five years, I don't have to screenshot it. There's a little share button. I hit share. It says, would you like to make this a post? I say yes. And I can post it right into my social feed. Mm. So I'm not going on Yahoo Finance, downloading five years of data, making a terrible looking graph in Excel, screenshotting it, bringing it in, non-dynamic. I'm literally taking 10 seconds, making it inside the Wolf app and sharing it with my followers. Hmm. Very cool. So it's kind of like a, a uh, investing social media type of thing. And you can also have make do your trades on there as an OMS if you want to, right? So that is the long-term plan. So right now, uh, we're still in beta. We're still building. We're only 15 months in. Uh, we've actually bootstrapped entirely the entire way. Um, we've won a lot of competitions from schools. Uh, what we're going to hopefully do and what we've been building relationships with some brokerages is, and thank you to Vlad Tenna for following me on Twitter. Hmm. Uh, what, what we'd like to do is, and you can already do this with other platforms, so we know it's possible, is you can have an API connection with a brokerage that allows people to place trades on your platform and it executes through the brokerage. And why would brokerages do this? Because we would promote that brokerage on our platform. So let's say someone comes on a Wolf and they don't have a portfolio yet, we will we'll have the opportunity to create a brokerage within Wolf. And if a brokerage allows them, you know, us, our, our users to trade via their brokerage, we'll promote them right in Wolf. It'll come up first, right? Make a brokerage with them. And it also works really well for perhaps uh, Charles Schwab or something that's just not getting signups for my generation mm. that now says, oh, wow, you know, there's potentially millions of people that we could reach that are 18 years old that we're just not going to get anywhere else. Mm. Very cool. Uh, you mentioned some of the social media platforms that you're able to kind of get the feeds for and, and <clears throat> import, I guess. So it's not, and, it's all native. So oh. it's actually it's its own social media where kind of, I was kind of comparing it, just to give an idea of what it looks like. But oh, it's all native. It's actually not imported. It's all created inside. Everyone has their own account. Um, you can copy paste, right? You can upload a video, whatever it is, but it's not imported else from elsewhere. I see. I see. Unless you were, unless you're a content creator who works with us and specifically asks us to do that. Right. All right. So it's not like I have like a, a, a scrolling of like my the tweets that are coming in from. Not unless somewhere. you asked us to import your content previously. We only do that for certain people. There's a whole process. Um, it's all native. It's stuff that you're creating on Wolf. Uh-huh. Hasn't this type of thing existed before where social somebody's tried to cater a social app for investing? So there has been people that have gone out and said, hey, we're going to make a social app where you talk about investing. There's been people that have gone out and said, hey, we're going to make a research app. Nobody's made both. We don't have any pure competitor. Uh, if you're on a social app, like I guess you have Common Stock, you have Public, you have Iris, you know, it's great. It's an ecosystem where people come to talk finance. But again, you have to leave to do your actual research. Got it, you don't it. have the fundamentals there. You can't. It's a screenshot again. You're making a screenshot that's coming in. Wolf, it's all there. It's all native. And it's all simple. How many people have you signed up so far? So right now, we're still, like I said, in beta. <laughs> Haven't We actually spent $0 on marketing. And we have 3,000 users nice. on the platform. 
We also have, uh, I won't go too into depth, but we have been working with about 50 different content creators spending every major social platforms with cumulative audiences around 6 million. And really that's going to be the strategy here. You know, we understand that the days of running Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, you don't get sticky users. We want to go right to the source. And that's why, you know, this is literally how we connected on the Twitter. Mm. You don't see me being a brand out there. You see me being a personality because yeah. I am making friends with all the content creators who many of the ones interact have already, you know, come onto the Wolf platform, already creating content there because they understand the vision. Hmm. Is there an ability to play podcasts and video on this, on your app? So there is video. Asking for myself. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so video already exists. Um, like I said, it's currently within that um, kind of that TikTok style format of the 60 seconds. It really does appeal to this generation. We're actually going to have for verified content creators on our platform, we're going to have the ability actually to have 10 minute videos that's oh. going to be coming out down the line, kind of like a YouTube hybrid. So if you want to teach something to your audience, right, get it out there. You can do a nice, like kind of condensed and then long-term we would love to have a content section in app where you can actually post podcasts, videos, all that. But you know, as with any, uh, any up and coming startup, it's kind of one thing at a time. Yeah, right? You got to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. Let me ask you this, since you're, you're the, uh, first of all, of, of the generation that, <clears throat> excuse me, grew up with social media. And, and second of all, that you're, you're literally working with it. What have you found to be the most compelling social media platforms in terms of putting out unique insights and actually moving stocks. I, I think Twitter's first. Really? It's, 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 it's first. It is. I mean, I, I'm a Twitter addict. It yeah. happens to be, it's my job to be on Twitter, but I'm clocking, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, I'm, I'm seeing the movement on there of bullish signals. And so what I've actually done is a lot of my podcast is actually talking about social sentiment. And because yeah. of that, a couple companies have approached me to kind of like promote their, their products. So I've worked with social sentiment.io Captain Solutions, and also Guru Examiner. And they're all three that are basically taking posts from social media and analyzing them for bullish and bearish sentiment and then yeah. doing correlation of stocks. And they heavily focus on Twitter. I mean, right. I think Reddit has a good chance there. Mm -hmm. um, I was gonna say, yeah. What I'll say is I think Twitter moves stocks that you'd want to really invest in maybe for you know longer term. And then I think I think TikTok's insane for moving crypto. Mm. Um, like when you look at it, like there's coins that blow up because of TikTok. People are going wow. and buying them. So I think that TikTok moves crypto, Twitter moves the stocks that you really kind of want to be investing in, and then Reddit moves everything else. Yeah. What about the Instagrams and Facebooks? I think Facebook is, I mean, I don't even know with Facebook. I can't, I, I don't think people in my generation spend a ton of time on there anymore. Um, I think it's great for knowing when people's birthdays are not much more, to be honest. I know that there's stock groups. I've joined a few of them just to kind of feel out what's going on. I think Facebook's more like for finding like your 401k or Roth, like where you're putting them. I don't think you're moving anything with Facebook, but I could be wrong, right? They have the most monthly active users, but I just think that Facebook who actually, you know, obviously owns Instagram and kind of Instagram both, they're focused on more of a... I don't know, more of like a, other things outside of finance in many, yeah. in many areas. Um, and, and the problem for me with Instagram is there's no, there's no uh, recognizable community. Yeah. You, don't, you, you can't have people come in, right? And then I retweet someone's post and someone else comments on it and something like that. Like 
it's very difficult to build a community and without having the ability, and I see it on Facebook too, to be honest, I mean, a little bit better with the groups, but mm. without having the ability to build a community, I don't see how you go and you move an asset. Yeah. 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 It's a good point. You know, it's funny. I set up an Instagram account for this podcast, uh, I guess a couple of years ago when I started and it's been an exercise in futility. I mean, whereas in Twitter, I got immediate audience, you know, a bunch of feedback, great conversations. I find guests and Instagram is just like, I mean, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of FX people and there's a bunch of crypto people on there, but it just seems everyone's selling something. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And, and, and I think that's, that's a, that's a product of the company, right? Yeah. Facebook and Instagram, the mindset is how can we sell the most things yeah. on our platform? I mean, Facebook literally has marketplace Instagram, obviously mm-hmm. just read it their whole platform. Twitter's leaning into it a little bit now, but they really never have. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's why I've like over the last, gosh, 13 years, I think I started on Twitter in 2008. Yeah, I did actually uh, on my personal Nat Baker, shameless plug. Anyway, yeah, but right. And I found like a whole bunch of really cool stuff over the years. And, and luckily it's still held true to that for them. Yeah, it has. All right, cool. Um, let's see here. Let's take another real quick break and come back. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. You have obviously this insight, you study these social social media, I guess, indicators and things for stocks. And I remember many years ago, you know, 10 years ago, I, I think, maybe not quite, but there was a company, I can't remember the name, but they would send me these things every morning with the social media, with the Twitter the Twitter score of the stock and, and the, the, you know, the five positive, most positive and most negative. And it was pretty good as far as what it would predict. I mean, unless of course there was some market making news that came in on the stock and, and moved it from one or the other, but we had the whole game stock thing. We're not in the position of picking stocks, any of us, but what kind of, what can you tell us about the type of things that people are focused on now interested in and the type of stuff that you find trending? It heavily leans towards towards growth stocks. Yeah, obviously nowadays you're you're just finding a lot of leaning in towards growth stocks. And what I think it, it leans into is two different areas. So you you look for companies that either have very very recognizable management and leaders, and those are companies that will attract specifically, obviously, companies that have leaders on social media. That's the best way to have correlation there. A growth stock company with a prominent, and you know, I'm not just talking about Elon Musk. You know, obviously there's a bunch more than him where they come on a social media and you see a burst. Uh, for example, you've seen this even in penny stocks. Mm-hmm. LTNC is a penny stock. They do blue collar labor hiring, uh, essentially like Uber for hiring blue collar labor. And they basically brought in a new CEO this guy happened to have a Twitter. He started tweeting. His name was Takeover Joe. And the stock went up 800%. It's worth three cents a share. Yeah, it went to eight cents when he started tweeting. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Like You even see this in tiny stocks, and you see it in large cap stocks too, right? Where we're seeing companies like Baba, who Jack Mott dropped off the face of the earth, and the stock can't seem to recover. Right. Uh, well, know, let's... It's having problems. So I think that that's a big thing. And the number two is growth stocks that have just blown out of the water their fundamentals. Okay. It's just it's just next level. And you see this with things like Futu. Um, that's probably my favorite. And I used it as an example earlier, but 
when you go down the list, Futu has just blown every single metric out of the water and they're popular on social media. They get talked about. There's an audience. Um, obviously, it helps that people with large audiences push that type of stock um, and they talk about it. So those are the two most correlated I see. It's a stock that either has a very recognizable management or a person on social media that talks about it, posts about it, or a stock that has just blown the fundamentals out of the water um, and is a growth stock. And, and those are going to be kind of seven or eight out of the top 10 trending. Okay. Here's another thing, maybe kind of a, a twist on this question. What are stocks that have all that, with what they have a lousy social media presence and they don't do anything on social media, even though they're an exciting company and they have so much potential. And then if they did do that, probably their stock would find a lot more favor with the retail crowd. I, I sometimes wonder if C limited could be a little bit more out there. Mm-hmm. I also look at uh, maybe maybe like Redfin um, okay. or, you know what? The, oh, here's a great example. ATR, Atarian, okay. they were Mohawk beforehand. Look at their Instagram. They have two posts. <laughs> they have name. like no followers. They've clearly never even tried. Like they're not trying to build me, but they have maybe one of the easiest marketing strategies. I mean, you know what, did you know what they do? They do basically no. like, so Atarian builds, technology into everyday home appliances. Okay. It's the easiest thing to sell on social media. Yeah. Take a video of you showing me, I don't know, like your smart cooler in your house, right? That like you're 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 getting ready to go to the beach and it's like a built-in stereo set and whatever else. And like they don't display anything. So like nobody has any idea what their product is. And if they just got it out there, maybe they could show people um, some more. And then an example of one that's doing it really well that actually interacted with me this morning is Celsius. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have Celsius Holdings who does uh, the drink, the beverage um, this morning. So I've been trying to get Celsius to sponsor my Twitter spaces um, because I have Jonah Lupton on a lot of my Twitter spaces. He's a big Celsius bull. Um, I'm up a good amount on Celsius. They're near all time highs today. And so I'll always just throw them out like a casual, hey, Celsius, like sponsor me on my Twitter spaces. Today, I post about them say Celsius is at nearly all time highs. Uh, I, you know, I wonder if we're having any effect on them, Jonah. And then I'm sure you're familiar with Greg. He's on Twitter and he's a friend of mine. And Greg posts underneath. He says, I've never had it. I go, Celsius, like get this man some, some drinks. Uh, you know, we, we, we need to have him have some. Celsius slides into his DMs an hour later. Nice. Uh, comments, you know, check your DMs. And he actually like sent me like a picture of like, they had just slid in. He's like, what flavor should I get? Because they offered to send him stuff. Nice. And if Greg, who is growing at, 5,000 followers a week now starts posting a video of him drinking Celsius. He's not going to do that because he's uh, whatever. Maybe he'll post a picture of that. He's anonymous, obviously. I am sure that not only would the account get followers, maybe a thousand more followers, right? People are going to go buy the stock. Stocks can get looked at. You can really not manipulate, but improve your uh, social status. And, and coincidentally, you know, obviously my point based on retail, your stock spreads. Interesting. That's really cool. Are there any other products that young people are, are using? Um, it could be digital products or actual physical products um, that maybe the broader public, especially the investing public, isn't that aware of. I, I feel like nowadays, I mean, things yeah. that we're using are getting pretty well marketed. Right, right. I okay. mean, the, the, the classic setup now for someone might just probably a laptop, a phone, a webcam, a mic, you know, a second monitor, mm. like a gaming chair, right? Like these are things yeah. that are all over that are that are really right. like put up. Uh, you know, your Bose headphones, sure, sure, uh, sure. whatever it is. Like, I think that they get 
pretty well like done. Like they understand. And you know why that is? It's because people in my generation are now in the marketing department and are running the marketing departments of a lot of these places they're bringing in. Right, um, right, right. You know, right, right. And, and I'll say that, you know, major props to some of you, my competitors. Uh, shout out to Katy Perry, who runs for public, uh, not the Katy Perry, the singer, but Katy Perry uh, is, uh, or she's, she's a woman. She's, I think, mid-20s. She runs all of public's marketing and she does a fantastic job yeah, and, yeah. and like has built their brand really well. Um, you know, and like, I wish I could have like had something like that on my team, you know? Yeah. How many people are, do you have now at Wolf Financial? How many people are there? 14. Okay. And where are you guys based? Based out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of like a, we were, we were born during quarantine, so we can really, you mm. know, kind of work from wherever. I've actually only been in our office one time ever. Nice. But you do have an office. We do have an office. Uh-huh. Have other people been there? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We have like half of our team works out of there. But it's very like, it's it's very fluid. Like people okay. can be working there. They cannot. We, I mean, we, we live on Zoom. So sure, sure. we have a Discord with open voice channels. We have meetings on our Discord every single morning. We also have like basically everybody in the company. So I run operations in addition to running our socials. So like every single morning, every single person kind of bullet points, like what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? It's, it's a very, very like structured system. So even though we're not all in person, we know exactly what everybody's working on at all times. Very interesting. I guess that speaks to the future of remote work as well. Very cool. All right, maybe in closing, tell us how we can find out more about you. I'll put this in the show notes as well. And Wolf Financial, like what's the website and stuff? Yeah, appreciate that. The website is wolf.financial. So no.com, just wolf.financial. Okay. The Twitter, as you know, is wolf underscore financial. That's all of our socials, wolf underscore financial. And so I'm pretty much always on Twitter, accessible through Twitter. It's the best way to reach me. My personal Twitter is at gav, G-A-V, Blacksburg. So B-L-A-X-B-E-R-G. Feel free to check me out on there. But I'm so active on the Wolf Financial account that I always forget to post on my own. Nice, nice. Very cool. Yeah, I kind of do both Nat Baker and Contrarian Pod. Gabe uh, Blacksburg, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.